This is the Africa service of Vatican Radio. Welcome to our half-hour daily program for Africa. In today's program, you can hear our feature, The African Synod, The Church Alive in Africa Today. First, however, our bulletin of church news, followed by African News Panorama. We shall close today's program with Millennium Appointment, I am Festus Tarawali. Pope Francis on Monday continued his Lenten spiritual exercises, an annual period of retreat during which all his meetings and audiences are suspended, including the general audience this Wednesday, the 21st of February. The Lenten retreat will end on Friday, the 23rd of February, as previously announced by a Holy See press office statement in which the Pope invited all cardinals residing in Rome heads of dicasteries and superiors of the Roman Curia to dedicate this week to private, prayerful spiritual exercises. In his remarks at the Angelus on Sunday, Pope Francis also invited communities and faithful to dedicate specific moments to gather themselves in the presence of the Lord during this Lenten season and throughout the year of prayer in preparation for the Jubilee in 2025. Pope Francis wrote the foreword to a newly published book on spiritual exercises by Austin Ivory titled First Belong to God on Retreat with Pope Francis. The Pope writes in the foreword, The retreat is a time for the Creator to speak directly to His creatures, inflaming our souls with His love and praise so that we might better serve God in the future, in the words of St. Ignatius. Love and service These are the two great themes of the spiritual exercises, he writes. Jesus, continues the Pope, comes out to meet us, breaking our chains that we might walk with him as his disciples and companions. He says, quote, Austin Ivory has done a great service in bringing together the retreat talks I gave many decades ago with my teachings as Pope. In this way, he allows both to illuminate and be illuminated by St. Ignatius' spiritual exercises. The full text of the Pope's foreword has been published on our website, vaticannews.va forward slash en. Also, at the Angelus on Sunday, Pope Francis lamented the increase in violence against defenseless populations, the destruction of infrastructure and widespread insecurity in the northern Cabo Delgado province of Mozambique. The Pope, in his remarks, noted that the Catholic mission of Our Lady of Africa in Mazese was attacked recently and set ablaze. He went on to urge global leaders to push for peace in Sudan and northern Mozambique. In its latest country update, the director of the South Africa-based Dennis Holly Peace Institute, Johan Fulyun, confirmed that the security situation in the Cabo Delgado province, where the French energy giant Total has a multi-billion dollar gas project, has spiraled out of control once again. He also gave some reasons for the current state of affairs, in an interview with our colleague from the Communications Office of the Southern African Catholic Bishops' Conference, Sheila Purish. It is a new wave indeed. Um, 
towards the end of last year, it seemed as if the situation was being stabilized and, you know, there were less attacks and there were reports of, of insurgent strongholds being raided and weapons being recovered and people started moving back. Um, then, uh, and I think this is all linked then to Tao announced that the situation is stable and that they would uh, resume operations at Palma, Afunji, towards the middle of the year. They were always very vague about the dates, but it seemed definite that it would be this year. Then suddenly, after Christmas, in the last weeks of, of December, there were numerous attacks. The insurgents started to attack again. And then in the past three weeks, it has really spiraled out of control. To point, certainly uh, uh, the reasons for this are varied. There, there are people, commentators in Mozambique who say that the one, this probably certainly holds, uh, uh, is connected to the fact that Tutaldi is coming back and that, that those with uh, um, Hidden agendas are trying to prevent it. There are commentators abroad who are saying in America and Europe who are saying, oh, this might be linked to the war in Gaza and Palestine and a resurgence in uh, uh, fundamentalist uh, uh, Muslim activities. But the other point that you did point out is, is that this, this new wave of attack certainly has a stronger religious character to it than the previous phase of, of the war had. I mean, there it was said to be Islamic and uh, um, attacks carried on. But this time around, first, the first thing that strikes me is that in all these uh, attacks that are occurring now, direct responsibility is claimed by ISIS, the Islamic uh, state in uh, um, um, Islamic state, and they now call themselves EIM, that's Estado Islamico in Mozambique, the Islamic state in Mozambique. And on all the posts on their media outlets online, they post pictures with uh, um, Arabic subtitles, with people planting the ISIS, the black ISIS flag and wearing ISIS uniforms. Um, and certainly the other thing that you have said is when they moved further south in the area of Chiuri in Mazese, they did specifically target churches. They kidnapped Catholic people. Um, and a Catholic church at Mazese was, was burnt and, and seriously destroyed. The that was Johan Fulyun, the director of the South Africa-based Dennis Holly Peace Institute, speaking there to Sheila Purish, and now to the Democratic Republic of Congo, where, as violence flares up in the eastern part of the country, the nation's Catholics are invited to pray at the end of every Mass for peace in the areas devastated by armed groups, especially the M23 rebel movement in North Kivu province. Devin Watkins has this report. Catholics throughout the Democratic Republic of Congo are offering prayers for peace in the eastern part of the country, which has borne the brunt of a deadly insurgency. Around 6 million civilians have lost their lives over the past 30 years in an unending cycle of violence at the hands of rebel and terrorist groups. In response to the unrest, every mass in the DRC will conclude with a prayer for peace. The initiative is spearheaded by the National Episcopal Conference of the Congo. 
Cardinal Fridolin Ambongo, the Archbishop of Kinshasa, will also celebrate Mass this Saturday in the capital's cathedral to pray for peace and tranquility in the Great Lakes region. The area around Goma, the capital of North Kivu province, has seen a deadly spike in conflict between armed groups, including the March 23rd movement, or M23. Following the M23 war, the city of Goma has become excessively militarized with the presence of armed groups, according to the city's bishop, Willing Ngumbi. This makes Goma a powder keg that could explode into a civil war at any moment if we are not careful. Goma, a city of nearly 2 million inhabitants, also hosts around 850,000 people displaced due to years of conflict. Over the past two years, many have sought refuge in seven camps set up by the Congolese government around the city. Bishop Ngumbi says the internally displaced persons have become hostages of the M23 war. As the city enters Lent, he says, Goma has been completely suffocated since the M23 troops advanced into the city of Sake, 30 kilometers west of Goma. Sake holds a strategic position and lies at the crossroads of three major economic routes. M23's advances in the area are endangering the flow of supplies. Now, warns Bishop Ngumbi, there is a real risk that famine will break out in Goma. He notes that M23 could close all supply routes, saying the move would leave people to die of hunger. We watch helplessly, said the Bishop of Goma, as a humanitarian disaster unfolds. Devin Watkins reporting. You're tuned to the Africa service of Vatican Radio. African News Panorama. 141 African migrants have been rescued by the Royal Moroccan Navy off the Canary Islands. The rescue was carried out on Sunday about 274 kilometers southwest of the city of Dakla in the western Sahara Desert. According to Reuters, the migrants had left the Mauritania coast on 10th February. Last year, the Canary Islands received nearly 32,000 migrants, which was the highest number recorded since 2006. Nigeria's Minister of Information and National Orientation, Mohamed Idris, has dismissed calls for the resignation of President Bola Tinubu as an attempt at destruction. Some governors from the People's Democratic Party, Nigeria's largest opposition party, last week urged President Tinubu to resign if he could not tackle the country's economic challenges. On Sunday, Minister Idris said that President Tinubu would not resign and was capable of addressing the economic difficulties plaguing the nation. The West African country is currently experiencing its worst economic crisis in years with the value of the local currency plunging to a record low and many residents struggling to afford basic necessities. Meantime, the Nigerian cities of Oyo and Ibadan held protests on Monday against the rising cost of living. The latest demonstrations in the south of the country follow similar ones held in northern Nigeria two weeks ago. Protesters are angry at the high rate of inflation driven largely by high food prices and the government's decision to end a long-running fuel subsidy. Security forces in Somalia's northeastern Puntland region on Sunday arrested reporter Jamal Osman from the British broadcaster Channel 4. He was detained shortly after he arrived in the regional capital, Garoe. Private news site Putland Post reported on Monday that the journalist has been charged with spreading al-Shabaab propaganda. Osman won a Rory Peck Award in 2022 for a feature on al-Shabaab. He has reported for Channel 4 on al-Shabaab. 
piracy in the Horn of Africa and Somalia's long-running instability since 2008. His Inside Al-Shabaab report, which aired on Channel 4 in 2022, led to the Somali government accusing him of promoting Al-Shabaab's ideologies. Tanzanians have expressed concern that a new statue in honor of their founding president, Julius Senyerere, does not look like him. The criticism mainly comes from Tanzanians online. The statue was unveiled on Sunday outside the African Union headquarters in the Ethiopian capital, Addis Ababa. Nyerere was the leader of what is now Tanzania. From independence in 1961 until 1985, he was a committed Pan-Africanist and hosted independence fighters opposed to white minority rule in Southern Africa. Last year, a statue honoring Zambia's first president, Kenneth Kaunda, had to be removed after weeks of ridicule, with people similarly saying that it did not look like him. Rwanda has expressed annoyance at the United States for criticizing it over escalating violence in the Democratic Republic of Congo. In a statement by the Foreign Affairs Ministry, Rwanda also says that the international community is indifferent to the Democratic Republic of Congo's dramatic military build-up. Over the weekend, the United States condemned Rwanda's alleged backing of Congolese M23 forces and called on the East African country to immediately withdraw all its forces from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Rwanda denies backing the M23. You are tuned to the Daily Africa service of Vatican Radio. The African Synod, the Church Alive in Africa Today. Hello and welcome to the program. I am Festus Tarawali. In this edition, you can hear the second part of my interview with the Archbishop Emeritus of Abuja, Nigeria, Cardinal John Onayokon. The Cardinal visited our studios recently after a meeting with Pope Francis as he marked his 80th birthday. In last week's edition, Cardinal Onayokon shared on his meeting with the Holy Father along with his years of service in various capacities as well as the role of the Catholic Church in promoting peace and good governance. In that interview, I also asked Cardinal Onayekon to comment on the wave of violence that is sweeping Nigeria, including the kidnapping for ransom of priests and religious. First of all, let me say, I'm grateful to Radio Vatican for highlighting these issues about what is happening in our nation, highlighting also from point of view of how it affects the Church, and specifically the clergy. It is well and good because the world has to hear our stories. However, I think we need to put these things in their proper general context. When a priest is kidnapped, it makes news. Everybody says, ah, they kidnapped a reverend father. On that same day, they may have kidnapped 20, 30 other people who don't make news. It is my own strong belief that we should not continue to be so concerned about ourselves and about what we are suffering to the extent that we don't, we have no, no ears and no eyes to what is happening all around us. The truth must be told. Nigeria is become very unsafe for everybody. It is not only Christians that are being killed. Other people are being killed. And Christians are being killed not always because they are Christians, but maybe for other reasons. 
And it is my strong belief that if we don't open up our discussion to in that level, we will not be able to tackle the issue. If we put it only in terms of Muslims against Christians, then we are in for a serious, serious future. And what do you suggest then as the way we forward? We suggest that we simply all try our best to find, to, to, uh, to let everybody know that there is a minimum of good governance that you require. That whom people, citizens should be able to move around and do their daily work, protected by government, neither Christians or Muslims. Because uh, we, we, Radio Vatican may not hear it, but in the far north, people are being killed every day. Villages are being ravaged. But you see, when Muslim bandits ravage Muslim villages, nobody talks about it. It doesn't make news. And I don't think we as Christians do well to simply keep quiet and say, let them kill themselves. In fact, maybe even rejoice that the Muslims are killing themselves. Because if they are killing themselves, they will eventually kill you too. I think we should, we do better to to bring together the the horror that we all should feel that life is becoming is becoming so cheap, and every life is important: the life of a Christian, the life of a Reverend Father, of course, but also the life of a Muslim and the life of a poor villager. Until we arrive at that, we will not be able to deal with the issue. The politicians have. Most of them, they surround themselves with uh, uh, security agents. For example, when the minister is moving, he has a whole convoy of about five, six, seven, eight cars, and he looks full of soldiers carrying guns. But uh, are they not ashamed? If they have to do this to move from one place to the other, are they asking how other Nigerians moving around? Who get kidnapped every day? Who get kidnapped every day? And I think it is our duty to keep drawing attention to this fact that the, the life of Mr. President is not more important than the life of my cook. Even in the face of these, uh, these atrocities or these um, horrible things that are happening, you've just alluded to the fact that, you know, uh, vocations are growing, you know, and even the number of Catholics is growing, not only in Nigeria, but in Africa as a whole. Why is that the case? That one is God's own doing, and it is wonderful in our eyes. As you know, the Holy Spirit blows wherever he wills. The important thing is for us to recognize that the Spirit is moving, and we should do all we can to walk along with, let walk with the Spirit that is moving in us. My, it is my own conviction that this, what we call vocation boom, is not for no, is not for no reason. That God has his plans. And my own understanding is that uh, our nation, Nigeria, and Africa as a whole, God has plans for our future for us. And this vocation of priests, these vocations should be so um, so uh, properly prepared, deployed, to be able to tackle the myriads of problems that we are just talking about. And uh, which means it's not enough to have the seminaries full. The seminaries must have a program of what we are going to do when all these young men are priests in the fields. What message do they have for the local local government officials in the midst of total disorientation where people have lost the sense of outrage? It is very sad when 50 people dead doesn't make news anymore. It's very sad. Even two people dead should make news. 
but you get people get used to it and uh, for as long as it has not touched you you can be continue to pray that God will protect you now, remember remember that psalm which I don't like at all a thousand will fall at your right a thousand on your left you are alone we alone will continue to do what so I think uh, this is where you, you, may, you raise the issue of my concern about peace because without peace nothing can move that was the Archbishop Emeritus of Abuja Archdiocese in Nigeria, Cardinal John Olorunfemi Onayukon. And that's all for this edition of the African Synod, the Church Alive in Africa today. Till the same time next week, I am Festus Tarawali. You are welcome to this week's edition of a Millennium Appointment. A summit of the African Union heads of state and government ended on Sunday in the Ethiopian capital, Addis Ababa. It was called to discuss a number of issues including educational challenges on the African continent, climate change and conflicts in some member states. The chairperson of the African Union Commission, which runs the day-to-day activities of the Union, Musa Faki Muhammad, told the Assembly that he was extremely worried about a series of difficulties facing the African continent today. The Sudan, meurtri, déchiré, profondément piétiné par ses élites. Mr. Faki pointed out to Sudan where a war resulting from a power struggle between the leader of the National Army, who is also the head of state, General Abdel Fattah Ali Burhan, and his deputy and leader of the paramilitary support forces, General Mohammed Hamdan Dagalo, has killed thousands of people and displaced about 10 million others. He said Sudan was wounded, torn apart, and sinking into chaos. La Libye reste divisée. He also lamented about Libya, which, since its destruction in 2011 by NATO countries led by France and Britain, has remained divided and exposed to foreign interference with little hope that it will ever have peace in the near future. Mr. Faki spoke also about the Sahel region, where armed Islamic militants continue to unleash terror with impunity, stressing that the region is facing a dangerous power vacuum that could trigger insecurity in many countries within and beyond the area. Multiply les signes d'aggravation de l'ère sans puternelle crise, nourrit des problématiques irrésolues à l'est de la République démocratique du Congo. Mr. Faki expressed concern over the fighting in the Democratic Republic of Congo, saying the conflict in the east of the country was threatening to worsen the political, security, diplomatic, and economic crisis it was already facing. He reminded the heads of state and government that Africa cannot watch helplessly as its people descend into chaos. There is a need to work for peace. He also criticized the military coup d'etats that have taken place in West Africa, where security was cited by the coup leaders as the main reason for overthrowing elected governments. The countries in question are Guinea, Conakry, Niger, Mali, and Burkina Faso. The military leaders of the last three countries announced a few days ago that they would leave the economic community of West African states, ECOWAS, and form a confederation 
in defiance for calls to return their countries to democratic rule. They stated clearly that they had no intention to return the countries to democratic rule before they contain Islamic militants and restore security. La situation au Sénégal, pays modèle en matière de démocratie, nous préoccupe au plus haut point. In addition, Mr. Faki voiced concerns about the political disturbances in Senegal following the country's President Mark Sall, who tried to postpone the presidential election after realizing that his hand-picked candidate and successor did not have the support of his ruling party and of the electorate, and therefore bound to lose the poll. The election was due to be held on 25th this month. Conniving with the parliament where his party has a majority, Mr. Sall managed to get support for his decree to postpone the election and to extend his stay in power until December this year. However, his plan was blocked by Senegal's constitutional court, which ruled last Thursday that the postponement was illegal and that Mr. Sall could not stay in power beyond April this year when his second and last term of office expires. The court clarified, however, that the election could not be held on 25th this month because of the interference caused by the attempt to delay it. It should therefore be held as soon as possible before the expiry of Mr. Sall's second term of office. Mr. Sall has promised to abide by the court's ruling. Commenting on the developments in Senegal, Mr. Faki said the attempt to interfere with the democracy was worrying, but expressed satisfaction over the decision of the Senegalese government to respect the court ruling and hoped that when the presidential election is held, it will be free, fair and transparent. The terrorism destructure certain de nos états en inversant les priorités par la multiplication des dépenses militaires exorbitantes. With regard to economic development, Mr. Faki expressed concern that some member states of the African Union were spending too much on the military to fight insurgents at the expense of education, health, infrastructure building, and other vital sectors. I am Johnny Baptist Tomosime. You're tuned to the Africa Service of Vatican Radio. In our next program at the same time tomorrow, you can hear our feature Justice and Peace. I am Festus Tarawali and do join us then. Praise be Jesus Christ. Laudetur Jesus Christus.